Where Ideas Launch, the podcast for the sustainable innovator. We won't save the planet by recycling 50% of our waste. We save it by not creating waste. Season two goes heavily into circular business models and innovation while creating a space to discuss issues important to our society, like education. Join me and my guest as we explore and create pathways toward a future for the planet. It was about 10 years ago, give or take, that I realized that something was fundamentally broken with the way I understood business, governance, and the economy. And it really wasn't because I didn't know the theory. It was that the theory stopped making sense to me. I left my employers on a sabbatical year back in 2015, not to travel the world, as perhaps I should have done, but to do an MBA. And it was in that MBA year that I decided that my business had to be about building sustainable strategy for businesses. My MBA was mostly traditional and mostly taught the same old methods and processes, except for three glimmers of hope. I specialized in innovation management, as this was clearly going to be the source for any radical changes that I wanted to create and that the planet actually needs. And then I deeply sought to understand geopolitics, competitive advantage, and inequality. And I understood that my instincts were not wrong. The 17 Sustainable Development Goals came into being in January 2016, and they act as the foundation and the lens under which I review all of my actions in business. And I think all of us can benefit from looking at our businesses and our countries, in fact, under these lens. One goal became particularly important for me, and this was goal number eight, decent work and economic growth. My business connects with this goal in various ways. So my work with entrepreneurs is intended to support small and micro businesses, especially sustainable, fair trade and eco businesses to thrive in their journey. My work with larger businesses and executives is to raise this level of awareness of the deepening role that they need to play in the future in order to sustain the planet and to sustain their businesses, in fact. So this isn't just about feeling guilty or feeling bad for some group of society. This is about us all. Fundamentally, we don't thrive if we don't have a working middle class, but more on this later. This podcast really aims to bring the worlds of big business and small business together. And this is why I decided to launch it from the perspective of innovation. Now, I want to flip back to this topic of decent work and economic growth. Growth is something we all want and expect in every aspect of life. It seems almost hard-coded in our DNA to seek growth. Yet growth is unsustainable without reviewing the way we look at the factors of production. So some of the targets in this goal, decent work and economic growth, cover topics such as focus on sectors that are encouraging employment opportunities, such as sustainable tourism, opportunities for entrepreneurship, and developing small and micro businesses through access to finance. But the pandemic has not only decimated the tourism sector and events industries, it has also accelerated the exit from traditional jobs, retail and others, right alongside a faster pace of digital transformation. If you were over 30, you probably learned about the factors of production, land, labor, capital, and enterprising spirit. Yet here's the thing, labor is diminishing as a factor, while capital is accelerating, especially when it comes to technology. Our system is set to destroy itself 
by destroying the middle class that fuels the global engine of growth. In addition to the fundamental real resources on which we really depend to make that growth happen. Now, since the education of the 80s and 90s that those of us over 30 had to be subject to, we now understand that capital can be broken down into six more granular ways. And this may begin to shed some light on where we can go from here. The traditional definition of capital include finance, manufactured capital, and intellectual capital. The modern, more nuanced form of capital includes human capital, social and relationship capital, and natural capital. We have never asked governments or businesses to take account of the way they deplete the latter three forms of capital in their activities. There is, There has been, at least in the past, no accounting about depletion of human capital, depletion of social capital, depletion of relationship and natural capital. But environmental, social and governance reporting is beginning to change the playing field for businesses everywhere, and in fact for the world, if we take this with the intensity that we should. So what's inside ESG, or environmental, social and governance reporting, ESG for short? One anecdote and statistic, 45% of boards reported in 2020 that ESG is a regular part of their update. This is good news, even if there's still a hugely long way to go. Now, under the environment pillar, there are many topics such as climate change, and climate change includes carbon emissions, product carbon footprint, financial environmental impact, climate change vulnerability, natural resources, which includes water stress, biodiversity and land use, as well as raw material sourcing. Then we have pollution and waste as another column, talking about toxic emissions, packaging waste, electronic waste. And then we have the environment opportunity. And this is opportunities to do with clean tech, green buildings, renewable energy. All of these form various aspects of a burgeoning problem but ultimately they all create opportunities. They all create opportunities for many, many businesses to get going. And this is why I bang on about sustainability all the time. This is the opportunity to redesign our planet. If we dig deeper into some of the other pillars, I can tease out some more information for you. Under the social pillar of, of ESG, we have human capital, and this includes labor management, health and safety, human capital development, supply chain labor standards. We have product liability, which is the safety and quality of our products, chemical safety, financial product safety, and pri privacy and data and security. This is, this is a very meaty topic in terms of how we even think about security. We also need to consider stakeholder opposition on things like controversial sourcing. And controversial sourcing could be even when we offshore. Social opportunity also presents itself, and this is access to communication. So if we think about some of the projects that are happening in the world today, there are projects around airband, which is an, another way to give remote and rural communities access to Wi-Fi services. These are really important opportunities that exist to expand the growth potential, let's say, for businesses all around. Beyond the opportunities, 
we come to the final pillar, which is governance. And governance includes the traditional things that we knew, but with more rigor and with more standards to account for. So this is corporate governance, board diversity, executive pay, ownership, accounting, corporate behavior, which includes ethics, anti-competitive practices, corruption, and incivility of the financial system in general, including tax transparency. Now, some might argue that this topic of tax transparency doesn't take the conversation around tax and fair taxation far enough. ESG has been introduced to help stakeholder groups understand how ESG risks are being considered in the business strategy of the world's largest corporations. Not providing an ESG report can harm a company's valuation and its access to capital in the reputation in the market. ESG is moving toward having a more long-term view of a firm based on its decisions today. So no longer can we look at what's the quarterly profit next month without looking at what's the long-term impact of this decision. And this is a move that was first pioneered by Paul Pullman of Unilever, at least in the most recognizable of ways, um, where he famously didn't hold quarterly reporting in high regard as he had set his sights on longer term views for Unilever. Now, there are many ratings agencies that will support the deployment of ESG, and I won't get into those. But what's clear is that from a reporting perspective, materiality in a company has to change from just financial materiality to social materiality. So when you're making a decision about what to invest in, you need to consider the materiality of the social impact of your decision. And that's huge. If we can find a way to embed this and be able to track and trace this in corporations, we would go a long way. The guidance on ESG has been created by some reputable bodies, including the Sustainable Accounting Standards Board, the Carbon Disclosure Project, and the Global Reporting Initiative, as well as the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. Now, what all of these considerations reveal is that we can no longer think in silos, and a decision-maker's role is no longer discipline-specific. For these changes to be truly embedded, they need to permeate through the decisions of each decision maker through the frameworks that they use, the structures that exist across the board in an organization, and in the nature of the information and the data flows within the organization, both quantitative and qualitative. The other hot topic is around the knowledge and capability gaps that need to be addressed throughout the organization structure. Data science isn't the only important skill, and that's fundamental to understand. The implications for you, my dear listener, is that if you are a sustainable business owner and not publicly listed, you're under no obligation to comply. But I would recommend knowing your numbers anyway, knowing your impact, as this is a good exercise for us all. Learning what and how to measure our carbon footprint and social impact is extremely powerful. If you are a senior executive at a FTSE or S&P 500 firm, you should familiarize yourself with the guides around ESG and the circular economy and learn the ways in which you as a business can make a difference. How is your board and business adapting to implement and embed ESG in its ways of working? I'd love to know what your thoughts are. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and tell me what you think, because these are important discussions for our future. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. 
This podcast was brought to you today by Career Sketching with Catherine Ann Byam and the space where ideas launch. Career Sketching is a leadership development and coaching brand offering personalized career transition and transformation services. The Space Where Ideas Launch offers high-performance group leadership coaching and strategy facilitation to businesses in the food and health sectors. To find out more, contact Catherine Ann Byam on LinkedIn.